I'm Teller Emmer. The following sermon audio is from The Well, a ministry of the University Church of Christ in Malibu, California. Thanks for listening. until there's sort of only one aspect that we think about when we think about purity. If, if you grew up in the church, um, it might seem like when you think about purity, the only aspect of purity to think about is sexual purity. Certainly when I think about conversations I had about that word growing up through high school, college, uh, middle school even, it was all about sex. And when um, I thought of impurities in my life, I would identify things like lust and masturbation and hooking up and and other failings of of my weak physical body to to overcome these temptations specifically in the arena of sex. And the the side effect of this narrow version of purity that we've developed is that we have pinned so much guilt and so much shame on one aspect of sin without, with, without paying attention to many other areas of real impurity. And I'm not here tonight to, uh, to, to discount sexual sin or to, to minimize in any way the, the value of respecting and honoring your body and those of other people. But I want to establish maybe a broader definition and and blow up our working definition of purity from specifically not having sex, not not doing sexual things outside of marriage, to something that's, that's broader, to living a life that imitates the life that Jesus lived and trusting him to cover the gap when we inevitably fall short. I want our definition of purity to be that, to, to, to live a life that imitates Jesus and to trust him to fill the gap when we inevitably fall short. The Bible talks a fair amount about sex. It, it also talks a fair amount, a lot actually, about purity. And in the vast majority of its discussions of purity, it's talking about a holistic purity that's beyond just the scope that we tend to think of. You'll notice I, I didn't really have a funny story or, or anecdote to kick this one off, so I figured I'd just say sex a bunch of times and that would get your attention, and it seems like it has, so I feel like I'm in the clear. But what we're going to be ta- doing tonight is we're going to be talking about a story uh, of Jesus flipping the idea of this purity culture on its head. And it's, it's a little bit different concept of purity than what it has evolved to be in our lives, but Jesus addresses this all the same. This story comes out of the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, and I'm going to read it. Uh, It's kind of a big chunk, so bear with me, and then we'll dive into it as soon as um, I read it. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman 
who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. So our, our story, this episode of Jesus' ministry, is kind of an episode within an episode. It's, it's one story that encapsulates another, and it starts with this guy Jairus. Jairus is the ruler of the local synagogue. That's a place where religious functions happen. That's a place where theological discussions happen. It's kind of the community center. So Jairus is a big deal in his town. And the fact that a person like Jairus would come and throw themselves in the dirt at the feet of a traveling teacher says a lot about him. See, he's a member of this religious elite and we've talked in, in the previous couple weeks about how um, some of the religious elite have been portrayed as more of the villains of the stories in the Gospels. But Jairus doesn't seem to be like that. He seems like he's not questioning Jesus, he's not trying to lure Jesus in to a trap or criticize him, but rather he really believes that Jesus can come and heal his daughter, and he is so desperate that he, as a prominent figure, is willing to throw himself in the dirt at Jesus' feet and beg for him to come rescue his daughter. And we could get into that. We could, we could get into how Jairus sees a problem that he can't solve that's beyond his scope and how he humbles himself and how he comes to the feet of Jesus and brings it before and surrenders it to the one who can fix it. But we, we have seen a couple stories like that. Last week, we saw almost that exact story um, and so I don't want to spend too much more time talking about Jairus. I think we need to move by him rather quickly to get to the other main characters of this story. Because we have two women in this story who have had their purity compromised and, and in doing so have threatened the purity of everyone around them. Now, you might be thinking, what are you talking about purity? Right? They have done nothing wrong. Uh, they're, they're just sick. Right? And one ends up dying. 
um, in, in the law that they were following, the moral law uh, found in the book of Leviticus, this kind of weakness of the body, this kind of sickness, was effectively the equivalent of sin in that it removed you from being qualified to enter the presence of God. And so these women had become impure according to the culture of the time. So first we'll, we'll look at this woman. We don't know how old she is. We do know that people at that time tended to only live about 40 years. So to have been bleeding for 12 years would have been a massive chunk of her adult life. In, in case you're wondering, the bleeding that is, is being referred to is menstrual bleeding that just will not stop and that is becoming or has become, has been a problem for a long, long time. And it says that she has, has spent everything she has on, on physicians. Physicians who are working with first century medicine, so nothing's really working for her, and she has become destitute. And in her poverty, she likely can't afford a diet that can support the iron loss that is happening through all of this blood loss. So she's almost certainly anemic. She is, she is weak, she is fatigued, which in the first century are not really positive things. So in addition, though, to potentially struggling just to survive, this problem that she has erects social barriers that prevent her from living a full life. Likely, because she's bleeding, she can't bear children. So she likely doesn't have any sort of marriage uh, on the horizon. She can't go into the temple. She can't enter the, the temple to worship with the other women because she's too impure for that. In fact, she can't even touch other people without making them impure. She has to warn people before they get too close, hey, I'm impure, don't touch me, or it could rub off on you and bring you down. So imagine the audacity that she must have and the hope that she must have to shoulder her way through this crazy group of people who are all tight around Jesus that are so dense that Jesus' disciples think he's crazy when he asks, who touched me? And, and desperately reach out to touch this holy man she's only heard of. And she's gambling here because if it doesn't work, then she has just brought this holy man down to her level of impurity by touching him. But it does work. Um, and, and lo and behold, as she reaches out, and in the moment that she touches Jesus' hem, in the moment that her impurity spreads to him, the exact opposite happens, and his purity flows into her and cures her body. Now, Let's think about Jesus for a second. In this moment, he's, he's new in town. He just, just got off the boat and is walking right along the edge of the sea. He didn't have to own what just happened, right? He was walking. People are all around. Nobody noticed this woman touch him. Um, he, he felt the power leave. He could have been like, sweet, good for her. She's healed. I'm glad. Way to go. And just kept going. Because according to the same law, after the bleeding stops, that woman is still impure for seven more days. And so he was still ceremonially unclean. He did not need to own the fact 
that he had just been brought down and was no longer this holy man who was coming to teach the people. But instead, he stops and he makes this big deal about it. He looks around, who touched me? And, and she comes forward and he stops and he listens to her story. She says she told, tells him the whole truth and he speaks love and healing into her. And while he does this, He's making a statement. This is a statement that says, I do not care about this purity culture that I have been set into because I am the source of purity. I can reverse impurity. This does not apply anymore. This does not apply to me. And while he's doing this, this little girl who he had been going to see dies. And her father is right there. Her father, who knowing every second counts, had come to Jesus and said, Come, hurry, quick, we have to go save my daughter. And they're on their way. And Jairus must have been feeling some hope. And then Jesus gets distracted and turns away. And I'm sure Jairus is thinking, like, Okay, lady, hurry this up. Like, we, we understand. Let's go. Keep moving. But Jesus stays and listens to the point that people come from Jairus' home and say, Give it up. She's gone. There's no reason to bother the teacher anymore. But Jesus goes anyway. And Jesus comes to uh, a scene in which this little girl has just become extremely impure. In, in, in a culture where that had these religious and cultural hang-ups about blood, imagine how bad a dead body is. People didn't touch dead bodies in first century Palestine. In fact, you know, it's, it's, there's no AC, there's no refrigeration at this point. They would hire professional mourners to be present before the time of death so that as soon as that last breath happened, this mourning process could begin and we could get this body in the ground as quickly as possible because dead bodies are extremely impure. And this is the scene Jesus walks into and he shows up. And he kind of makes fun of them a little bit. What's going on? Why are you guys making a big deal? She's just taking a nap. And they, they transition from weeping to laughing at him really, really quickly. So he just kicks him out and walks across the room and takes this dead little girl's hand. Now, for, for people who saw this happen, um, especially for Jairus, who, who thought, this guy's holy when he showed up, now he knows for sure Jesus can't be anymore because he he just witnessed this interaction with this dirty impure woman before they got to the house and the right thing for jesus to have done is leaving that interaction gone straight to the nearest tub and cleansed himself of her impurity but instead of doing that he goes and he makes the situation all the more worse by touching this dead body not cool But then, this impure, dead thing on the bed opens her eyes and, and sits up and, and stands up and begins walking around. And it says, quote, they were overcome with amazement. They had some serious thinking to do about their perception of purity in that moment. Jesus came to demonstrate that, that purity 
is not what the ancient Israelites thought it was. In fact, it's not what it has evolved for us to think it is in a lot of ways. Purity only comes from Jesus. To be apart from Jesus is to be impure. To do things he wouldn't do is to be impure. To not treat people the way he would is to be impure. It's about so much more than sex. And to live a lifestyle of purity is to live a lifestyle that emulates the way Jesus interacted with people. And to focus exclusively on bringing glory and honor to God. However, bad, bad things happen, right? Um, I've done things, you've done things that make you feel a little tainted. Uh, likely, things have been done to you that might make you feel tainted. If you look closely at your life, you might look at chapters or areas of your life that kind of just make you feel a little slimy inside. Again, I'm not just talking about sex. However, I am also talking about sex. But it's so much more than that. It's what you think about. It's what you watch. It's what you say to your friends. It's what you eat. It's every aspect of what you do every day. Being perfect isn't an option for us. It's just not we're people. But the model of Jesus' life that he provided for us is a perfect example to follow. No matter what, we're going to fall short. We are going to sin. But when we repeatedly engage in behaviors that are bad for us or bad for other people, we're not even giving ourselves a fighting chance. If that woman had done the easy thing that day and stayed away from that crowd of people where she was definitely going to make some people impure when she shouldered her way through, she never would have been purified in Jesus' presence. If we go about our lives business as usual, putting no effort into making lifestyle changes that will honor God, we'll never know real purity. It's when we shove through the crowd, get close, and desperately reach for the hem of Jesus and trust that we can't make it, but he can close that gap, that we will. Do me a favor and take a second and just think. Think about something in your life that makes you feel impure. If you don't like the word impure, because it is kind of a weird word, think about something that makes you feel gross. Think about something that makes you feel slimy or guilty or creepy. Think about that for a second. When Jesus looks at you, he's not looking at that. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see the blood. He doesn't see the nasty corpse that might infect him if he touches you, that might bring him down to our level. When Jesus looks at us, he sees people he loves. He sees people he wants to heal of their brokenness, of our hurt, of our wrongness, and make them more like him. I I'm not going to ask anybody to um, share what they're thinking about tonight. Um, I do want to ask you, though, to share what you're thinking about this week. Share it with somebody 
who you trust. Identify that area in your life that you see. We all have them. Maybe, maybe you share it with somebody who you came here tonight with. Maybe you share it with a close friend you have on campus. Maybe you share it with a close friend or family member back home. Maybe you're not sure who you would want to or who you would feel comfortable sharing that with. I offer myself and our other ministers as people who want to hear you and listen to you and love you in this process. Because we all have stuff. We all have these open wounds that, that are affecting so much more in our lives than just the area where we're wounded. My prayer tonight is that that stuff in our lives that we fear getting out, that we fear spilling over into the lives of others, does spill out. That it does see the light of day because we choose to bring it forward. Mark says that the woman, before she'd even been identified by Jesus, she could have slipped away, but she fell at his feet and told him the whole truth. My prayer is that we too may reach for the hem of Jesus and accept the purity that can only come from him in all areas of our life. Will you pray with me tonight?